Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast Weekly Sermon Podcast. We want you to know that we're excited about our brand new church facility located on 1331 Cove Road in New Bedford, Massachusetts. We offer three service times for you to choose from. We have kids classes for all ages so parents can enjoy the service while kids learn about Jesus. We'd love to host you in person, Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Now, here's an encouraging word. But I'm glad you're here uh, in God's house as we get ready to conclude the series. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 41, if you have your Bibles, Genesis 41. And uh, before we get into it, I want to just do a quick recap of what we've covered so far in this series. I believe every time a series ends is the beginning of something new. You know, I believe that God's doing some, some, some new things in our lives. Amen. But we've been looking at the life of one man who had a dream at the age of 17. What's his name? Come on, say it like you're not in a Catholic church. Say his name, say his name. Um, his name is Joseph. He had a dream at 17. And then God takes him through a process of seeing this dream come to pass. And I don't know if you understand this, but the last five weeks, we've covered 13 years in five weeks. Just so you know, nothing happens overnight. It happens over time. Right? So we looked at the anatomy of a dream at the age of 17. And then we looked at... The fact that a dream requires a certain work ethic, a certain mindset that you need to have. And we gave honor and respect to the late, great Kobe Bryant. And we entitled that message, The Mamba Mentality. You've got to have a focus and a drive to see the dreams come to fruition. And then on week three, we talked about the fact that dreams require a backbone. What is the backbone of a dream? Once again, we're not in the Catholic Church. What is the backbone of a dream? Character. You don't want to get to the dream and then be the Astros. You want to be able to get to the dream and celebrate the dream, and everybody else around you celebrates with you. So character is required for us to see, not just to attain the dream, but to maintain the dream. Can you say amen? amen. And then last week, we talked about how dreams requires plans and strategy. If you don't have a plan or a strategy, you're just wishfully thinking. You know, but dreams require that we have plans in place and strategies of how we're going to get from point A to point B to C and D, so on and so forth. And so today we're going to wrap up the series. I hope you're taking notes because I'm going to get right to it. We're going to wrap up the series talking about the legacy of a dream, the legacy of a dream. You know, if you have a dream from God, I can guarantee you it's not just about you. God's dream always, always includes other people. Like, if you study everyone in the Bible that God called and put a dream in their hearts, it was always about, hey, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing, right? So it's never just about you. So we're going to get to the Joseph's part of the story here where you see now this dream blessing everyone around Joseph. And I believe God's dream for you is to be a blessing to everyone around you. Tell your neighbor, be a blessing. Tell the right neighbor, you can be my blessing. Um, <laughs> I try every week, you know. So we are in Genesis 41, and I want to share with you three legacies. Legacy is what you establish and what you leave behind. It's, it's your mark on this earth. All of us are called to leave a legacy, amen? So I want to talk with you about three universal legacies that I believe you see it in Joseph's life, but I believe is what God also wants to produce in all of our lives. So Genesis 41, beginning with verse 45. Genesis 41, 45 says, Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zaphnath paneah 
was the name that Pharaoh gave to Joseph. Because back in those days, they believed your name carries your identity and your purpose. And what's powerful about the name that Pharaoh decided to give Joseph in Egyptian, it means God speaks and lives. How awesome is that? They didn't, they didn't worship the same God, but because he has seen the power of God in Joseph's life, that Pharaoh is honoring God by renaming Joseph the God who speaks and lives. I pray we live in such a way that unbelievers acknowledge there's a God who speaks and lives among us. My friends, your life can speak to a, to a world full of unbelievers. Let your light shine in such a way that other people can say, there is a God because I see him working in your life. Can you say Amen. He also gave him a wife. Hello, somebody. <laughs> and I believe this is part of God's plan to honor Joseph. Remember, Joseph refused to give in to a desperate housewife because he knew that if I give in to that, I would short-circuit the dreams and the goals that had has for me. And because he said no to that, God now is honoring him with his own wife, with his own blessings, with his own way. Stick to God long enough to see him bring the blessing to you. You don't have to chase it. God will... Bless you where you are. Back in those days, they believed in arranged marriages. Now that I am a father of two daughters, I do also believe in arranged marriages. My sons can fend for themselves, but my daughters, we're going to arrange this whole thing. We're going to make sure it's going to be the right deal. Every father in the house, come on, help me out here. It's, this arranged marriage is going to include a basement with a shotgun and some questions. We're going to go to a room where Jesus doesn't go to that room. And we're going to go Old Testament style. We're going to have some conversations. We're going to have some questions. And we're going to make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into because my daughter's too priceless for you. Any knucklehead. Now, my boys, they're on their own. They're going to have to figure it out. The wife's name was Aseneth. I don't know what that means, but if you're looking for a daughter's name, there you go. <laughs> she was the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Not Potiphar, but Potiphar, different person. So Joseph took charge of the entire land. He was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. My friends, he's 30 years old now. We met him when he was 17. So the last few weeks, we've covered 13 years of Joseph's life. I want to just remind you that God is not into instant gratification. God is to long-term blessings and legacies and things that are going to last for eternity. So whatever God's doing in your life right now, understand that it's not all going to happen tomorrow. It is a process, that, a journey that God has taken all of us on. If you're paying attention right now, you can begin to trace that God has been blessing you and he's been watching you, he's been protecting you, he's been leading you every step of the way. So wherever you are right now, it's not a coincidence, not a mistake. God has a plan. So jump down to verse 50. Verse 50, same chapter. During this time, before the first of the famine years, remember, seven years of famine was about to take place, right? Two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my, fam in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. So, so here, 
is the first legacy of Joseph. It's his family. He says he has two sons. And again, remember, back in those days, they truly believed that you give your sons names that are going to carry an identity and a purpose. He says, man, the first one, God has, has, has empowered me to forget all the troubles I went through. That's why I'm going to name him Manasseh. And then Ephraim, God has made me fruitful. So his name is fruitful. How awesome is that? That he's in a place now that he can be able to say, man, God has blessed me, has brought me here, and I'm going to honor him by giving my son the names for what he has done in my life. That's so cool. We got to give God a praise for what he's blessed us with and what our longest... How far is taking us? My friend, a dream, I pray you're taking us because I want to dive right in. A dream from God creates a legacy that's beyond you. A dream from God will outlast you. It will bless not just you, it will bless your family, it will bless your family's family. God is a God of generations. God never wants to bless one person. God's always thinking about a generation in the process of blessing one person. I would guarantee you, I don't care how big someone thinks they're dreaming, if it doesn't include other people, they're dreaming too small. Because the dream of God will outlast you and it will outlast your children if you do it right. The Bible says he wants to bless generations. And we know families has been God's plan from the beginning. From the beginning, he said it's not good for humanity to be alone. They need to be connected. They need to be in community. They need to be in relationship. They need to bear fruit and multiply, which means they need to have children. And, and, and children that are blessings from the Lord. My friends, the first thing we have to establish is that whatever dream God has for us is the family dream. It's the family legacy. Listen, it's, listen you can't read this thing without seeing that. You can't read this without seeing the fact that God wants to work through families. God picks a man named Abraham and he says, through you, I'm going to bless the entire nation. Not just the nation, but the world. He says, through Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 children and they became Israel. Israel became the blessing of the nations. When God decided to send Jesus, he sent him through Israel. And it was through Jesus that, that came the blessing to the entire world. Mary and Joseph were the vessels that God decided to use to bring Jesus into the world. Jesus comes into the world and says, now I'm going to raise up a new family, a spiritual family called the church family. And God is all about families. He has brought you into his family. We got to be careful not to downplay the very thing that is right in front of us. I think a lot of times we find ourselves chasing things out there, but we forget to be a blessing exactly where we are. My friends, your family unit is a blessing from God. Your marriage is a blessing from God. Your children are a blessing from God. I just came back from a church conference with church leaders from all over the world. 5,000 leaders got together in Orlando. And one of the things we talked about was how do we include our families in this calling? Because ministry could be so uh, taxing and it could be emotional. It, 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 it can take your time and your energy and your effort. But we said we cannot neglect the very first thing that God has trusted us with is our family. Church starts our home. Our first ministry is our, is our wives and our children. That God has blessed us with. And one of the pastors from one of the biggest churches in America, Andy Stanley, had a powerful session with his wife. And one of the things he, he said just spoke to me so much. I want to share this quote straight from him. He said, your greatest contribution may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Amen. You have no idea the kids that you're raising right now. You have no idea what God is trusting you with. My friends, every little kid is a gift from God. The Bible says your children are blessings from the Lord. And he says you should have a full quiver of them. 
That's why we, we always encourage you, be fruitful and multiply. Keep having babies. Why? Because that's your way of being a blessing to the world. Listen, we always tell people, we have five kids. Why? We're just being obedient. <laughs> God said, be fruitful and multiply. And I don't like it when people downplay the whole thing. People say things like, you know, oh, well, you guys crazy. You have five kids. I'm like, you're crazy. How come you don't have a legacy? How come you don't have anybody that's going to carry on your legacy when you move on? I pray we refuse to let a selfish society tell us how to raise our families and how many kids we can have. My friends, it's a selfish society that has no one to look after each other when they're gone because all we're thinking is about me, myself, and I. But God is a God that says, no, bless others and have children and have more children that will bless more children, that will bless the world. It is God's dream for you. My friends, your greatest contribution may not be something you do, but someone you raise. So don't neglect those who are already in the house with you. Right? That's the greatest thing you have going for you. And he said something even more powerful than that. I never thought about it this way. But he said, listen, think about it. There's only one thing that is unique to me is, is being a father to my children. He said, listen, I'm a pastor. I could be replaced as a pastor. He said, God forbid if something happens to my marriage, I could be replaced in my marriage. But no one can take the place of me being a father to my children. It's the only most unique thing I have on this earth is to be a father or a mother to my children. Think about it. Your job can replace you. Your friends can replace you. But your children only have one parent. Your children only have one mom and one dad. Stepdads is not a dad. You know, it's not the same thing. My friends, we have to embrace the responsibility that God has given us to raise our children for the next generation to be able to say, I was raised the right way. I was put under the will of God. I was put under the purpose of God. And I don't just mean physical kids, I mean spiritual kids. You know right now as we speak, we have kids in every classroom here. We don't believe in babysitting, we believe in raising a generation. I don't know if you understand this, but we average over 200 kids every single weekend. My friends, 200 kids, that's bigger than most churches have entire people in New England. We have a divine responsibility to raise an entire generation in the ways of Jesus and to show them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So when you see join the mission, join the mission could be for some of you that you get to help raise the next generation, right? Kids ministry is one of the most powerful ministries that we have because what we're doing is we're setting a place for them to be able to understand the new normal and think about it. If they get it now, if they get it before we did, they're going to be at a higher ceiling than we ever were before. And my prayer for my children and your children is that they don't have to taste the things of this world to realize how good God is and the plans that he has for their lives. So don't neglect the very people that are already in your house. We always say this, church starts at home. And if you can be church at home, then you can be church anywhere. If your kids can see a real faith at home, then they're going to have faith in school. They're going to have faith when they go to college. They're going to have faith when they have their own marriages and so on and so forth. Because the greatest legacy that we have is our families. Treasure your families. Build your families. Invest in your families. Do everything you can to point your families to Jesus. Can you say Amen. No one else can be a parent to your children. That really, for some reason, just revolutionized the way I think about family. You know, one day, I may not be able to do this, but I'm going to always be a father to my kids. That is awesome. Can you say amen? So, my friends, that's the first legacy I believe God wants for all of us, a family legacy. Number two, we're going to jump down to verse 56 to look at the next legacy here that God has for us. Look at this, right? Verse 56. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians. Remember, they've been, they've been storing for seven years so that they would not go hungry for the next seven. 
Okay. And he distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so was severe throughout the world. Did you catch that? My friends, we're not just called to create a family legacy, but we're also called to create a gospel legacy. The gospel means good news. So I want you to catch this because this is such a powerful thing here, that, that God's dream is that we will reach beyond our immediate family. You see, a lot of people, that's all they think about is just their immediate family. I just want to take care of my family. But when it comes to being a child of God, when it comes to be a follower of God, God says, no, your family is not enough. I want you to bless the entire world. I'm setting you up. I want to bless you that you may have enough to be able to bless everybody else. That's why we're building right now a food pantry because it's not enough for my family to eat. I have to also think about other families who are in need, who need somebody to step up and say, I'm going to help you also because we have a divine responsibility as God's children to be a blessing to other people. Can you say amen? But here's the thing, my friends. Famine here is not just physical, but it's also spiritual. There's physical famine, but there's also spiritual famine. There are people right now who don't have a need for physical food, but they have a need for grace. They have a need for hope. They have a need for healing. They have a need for restoration. They have a need for life and life beyond just the physical. I just did a funeral yesterday, and in every funeral, I believe, it's a great opportunity to open people up to the more of life, because life is not just the physical, it's also the spiritual, and it was powerful to be able to share once again the love of Jesus, and by the time the funeral was over, people that I never met before were praying with me out loud for Jesus to come into their lives to receive as their Lord and Savior. Why? My friends, there's a physical hunger, there's spiritual hunger. I think that's why we're all here this morning. We, we are hungry for more than just physical things. We're hungry for the will of God. We're hungry for the purpose of God. We're hungry for the grace of God. We're hungry for the power of God. We're hungry for the will of God over our lives. And if we're hungry, that means other people are too. That means, my friends, I want to keep saying this. We have a divine responsibility to feed people physically but also spiritually. There's a spiritual famine going around right now. All around us. There are people who are hungry, famished for truth, for meaning, for purpose, for righteousness, for love, for significance, for acceptance, for belonging. And it's up to you and I to open up our storehouses that God has blessed us to be able to bless others. My friends, you have to understand this. Everything that God has blessed you with is not for you to keep it to yourself. It's for you to be able to bless other people physically, emotionally, spiritually. All of us can bring the good news of Jesus to a hungry world. All of us can have something to share that will bless another person who is in need. So my friends, the key for us is to not reduce this thing to just me, myself, and I, but it's to open up our storehouses because all of us have extra. All of us have extra, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, that we should be opening up to say to the world, here, come receive love, come receive grace, come receive healing, come receive hope, come receive the presence of God, like I receive the presence of God. Today, our missions, team, our missions team just came back from Haiti, and they built a house for a family. And this woman said, man, I prayed, and you guys came. And you guys are an answer to prayer that I prayed. My friends, we want to be a blessing to people in tangible ways.
It's a divine responsibility. Look what Jesus, Jesus came back from the grave. And the, what is the first thing he tells his disciples? And he tells us, look, the first thing he says is this. Go ahead to Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, what's that word there? Can we say it like we mean it? Therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of age. My friends, we have a divine responsibility from Jesus. This is not a side note. This is the note. This is everything. I know, you know, sometimes we come and when you hear a message, dream on, and you're trying to think, okay, but God, how do you want to bless my life? The way that God wants you to bless your life is by you blessing others. That is the heart of God, for you to go and be a blessing in tangible ways, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Go make more disciples of Jesus. My friends, this is the divine responsibility. You cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus and not have a heart desire to be a blessing to others. You might be a churchgoer, you might be religious, but a follower of Jesus has a mandate. We are compassionate, we are filled with passion, we are filled with fire. We ask the Holy Spirit to come, not for us to receive goosebumps, but for us to be able to go and be a blessing to people. This should be burning in the heart of the believer. I can't keep this to myself. It's impossible for me to see a hungry person and I want to feed them. Whether they're hungry physically, whether they're hungry emotionally, whether they're hungry spiritually. My friends, we need to have the same heart that God put in Joseph to be a blessing to others. This is a divine responsibility. So as you know, I like to be practical. I want to give you practical ways that we can all do this, all of us. Everyone who can hear my voice, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your mandate. This is your calling in life. Let me give you practical things we can all do, do this every single day. Number one way that we can go about the gospel legacy is to pray for people. It may sound so cliche, but the reality is everything starts with the heart of God. And prayer is about getting the heart of God. Because the truth is we are selfish by nature. Prayer opens us up to be selfless. Prayer is what allows us to connect with the heart of God about what God cares about. We used to sing a song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Why? Because a lot of times we're not in tune with the heart of God. And I believe praying for people helps you see them like Jesus. How does Jesus see people? Go read the gospel. Jesus always saw people with compassion, always saw people with mercy, always have a desire to help them. Matter of fact, there is a scripture in Matthew chapter 9 that Jesus, the Bible says, was moved with compassion. And if you look up the, the original Greek in the word move, it says that Jesus was sick to his stomach because he saw people hurting and broken and he wanted to do something about it. My friends, compassion is not feeling bad. Compassion is a compound word that says, I feel so bad, I need to do something to alleviate your pain, to alleviate your hurt, to alleviate your disappointment. I want to do something to bless you in a tangible way. And I would say this, and it's a strong word, I would say you're not a believer in Jesus if that's not your heart yet. That, that is the heart of Jesus, is that we would have the same heart for people, that when we see people, it breaks us. When was the last time you saw someone and he broke you? And you know why? Because when you pray, you don't have time to condemn. When you pray, you don't have time to judge. When you pray, you don't have time to criticize. When you pray, you just want to help. You just want to bless. You just want to heal. You just want to restore. 
Just talked to a homeless man the other day, and he, and, he, and, he, and he started crying. He says, no one ever stops to really ask me, who are, who are you? They usually assume that I'm a bum. They usually assume that I put myself in a situation. But my friend, we had a great conversation. I prayed with them, and this is something that I share with you from my heart, that I pray if you come to this church, I pray you're praying for a heart for people, that you don't see homeless, you see potential. You don't see black, you don't see white, you don't see Hispanic. You see people that loves, that, that needs the love of Jesus in tangible ways. Friends, all of us can bless somebody. We can't bless everybody, but we can bless somebody. And I believe every day God puts people in our path for us to bless them. But it all starts with a prayer. I'm telling you, you start getting up in the morning and say, God, I pray today to be a blessing. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what you're going to find. And which leads to number two is simply this. Learn to be available. We're all going somewhere. We're all in a rush. It's amazing to me as a pastor. The moment I pray and say, God bless, it's like a mass exodus. And we're all in a rush to go nowhere. Have you noticed? We're all in a rush. We all think the next thing is going to be the next thing, but we forget to be available in the moment. And I would, I would, I would encourage you because this is something that God has been speaking to me about. It's, it's that we're missing our assignments because we're always in a rush. We're missing the point of today because we're always thinking about tomorrow. We're missing the blessings that we can be and be a part of because we're so quick to just move on to the next thing. Even in church, you know, we do all of this, the lights and the things and all of that. We forget that all the stuff is to point people to God and to each other. And that sometimes ministries get in the way of us actually ministering to people. That people is the point of ministry. Like, we don't do all of this stuff for the sake of doing them. We do them because everything is attached to somebody. And I would guarantee you, if you pay attention, the greatest ministry happens right after church. If you go into this lobby slowly, prayfully, you might meet somebody who needs to connect with you. You might be someone that you need to pray for. You might be someone that you might be a blessing in a tangible way. My friends, let's learn to be people who are truly available, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Let's walk slower. Let's take our time. Let's look around and say, God, I don't want to miss this moment because I'm always caught up on what's next. But what's next is the catalyst of the moment that you're in right now. We go to work mad, we leave mad. <laughs> and we never take time to see the people around us who are hurting, struggling, looking for some hope. We get filled up, my friends, to dish it out. And I would tell you this, those who go and dish it out, God trusts us with more. God doesn't like spiritual hoarders. People would just come to church, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. Tell me one more thing. And then one more thing, one more revelation. We got, we got, we listen, we got church people going home listening to five, seven, eight different podcasts. I like this pastor. I like this pastor. You like, you like, you like. But what do you give? What do you give? What do you give? What do you give? Like, what do you contribute? Number three, very simple way to reach the world is to tell them your story. Because every time we tell people, share your faith, we get locked up because we're like, I don't know what to say. What do we have to ask me? Dumb questions that I don't know the answer to. I don't know my Bible. My friends, the pressure is off. The greatest reality that Jesus is real is your story. Because you can meet people who can say, hey, the Bible is not real. I can prove it to you because I, I watched the History Channel and I've seen all this stuff. <laughs> 
I was up 2, 3 in the morning watching those shows. Bible is not real. No, you're not real. Something's wrong with you. But <laughs> here's, here's the greatest revelation of why Jesus is real. Do you have a story? Do you know that Jesus has changed your life? Because if you know that Jesus has changed your life, then that's irrefutable. No one can take away the thing that you know you've experienced. No one can take away your story. Your story... In my book is the greatest revelation that Jesus is real. Because I can't refute your story. Right? One of my favorite testimonies in the Bible is from a man who was blind. And the religious people, the, the scholars, the one who, who know, we know God. <laughs> Be careful with those people who know God. <laughs> so it's uh, who healed you? <laughs> I think that's how they talk. That's just my, you know. The guy, I love this guy's testimony. He's like, listen, I was blind. Think about it. If, if they are the, the so-called experts, shouldn't they know the guy's blind? I'm asking him a dumb question. I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Like, I believe in this room, there's people who can say, I was an addict, but Jesus has set me free. I was broke and he healed me. I was, I was depressed and he's restored me. I was hurting and he's blessed me. Does anybody have a story in this room that Jesus is real because he's blessed you, he's touched you, he's forgiven you, he's empowered you, he's restored you. You're not the same person you were before you met Jesus. There's a BCU and there's an ADU. Is anybody in this place gonna give Jesus some praise for what he's done in our lives oh the world needs your story my friends remember everything that Joseph has gone through is to have a testimony think about it the stuff that you go through is for somebody else to be able to say oh wow that's how I can get through don't you understand that there's people in your world that I will never be able to reach there are people that will only identify with your story don't you understand if you were an addict, you are, you are a better testimony for someone who's struggling with addiction? Don't you know if you're a single mom, you're a better testimony for someone who is a single mom? Like whatever you're going through, my friends, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. God wants to use your story to be a blessing to those around you. So own your story, but don't keep it to yourself. Learn to share it so others can find the same breakthrough that you found. Can you say amen? So yeah, let's go ahead, read your Bible, but the greatest revelation of the Bible is your story. It's what makes the Bible come to life. It says, man, that's the same God who worked in those people who have worked in my life and he's still working in my life. Can you say amen? Listen, here's another practical way to love the world. Love with words and action. It's one thing to tell your story. It's another thing to have actions to back up your story. This is where the religious people miss it. They tell you all the Bible verses but then they don't have any actions to back it up. James, the brother of Jesus, says, don't just tell people if they're hungry, hey, God bless you. No, feed them. Because when you feed them, you're saying God will bless you. And then because you feed them, now they want to listen to what you have to say because your actions will speak louder than your words will ever speak. Think about it. This food pantry, you understand the power of what this is going to do? It's not just going to help some families physically, but because we're helping them physically, it's going to open doors for us to tell them about the love of Jesus and how much he cares about them and how much he wants to change their lives and how much he wants to restore their lives. Listen, feeding people physically is incomplete if their spirit is still hungry. 
And it's, and it's hard to feed people physically if you don't, it's hard to feed people phys- spiritually if you don't feed them first physically. So our actions need to be part of the gospel, right? It's as simple as being, uh, being, being attentive to pay for someone's groceries, to, to pay for someone's coffee, or to just pay for someone's bill. You see someone struggling, put your faith into action. Show them the love of Jesus in a tangible way. And sometimes you don't even have to say a word. St. Francis says, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Let your life be the gospel. You know the gospel truly means good news. People ought to see you and go, ah, you're here. You're good news. I pray when you go to your work, people are like, man, I need to talk to you. I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me. I need you to be the good news. Because everybody knows the hurting and the struggling going around, and it becomes a broken record. We just keep talking about the hurting and the struggling, the hurting, and then we start competing with each other's hurting. Oh, yeah, you think you have it bad. Let me test. <laughs> you ever find yourself competing with someone's brokenness? Oh, yeah, you, that's nothing compared to what I'm going through. You think you, like, can we stop talking about how bad we have it? Can some people bring some good news to the table to say that there's something else to talk about? And, 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 and last on this point, my friends, simply this. Invite them to church. Invite them to a place where they can receive something that's meaningful, that's going to impact their lives. Think about it, right? Every time you come across good news, you don't keep it to yourself. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Amen. When you find a sale, what do you do? You don't go, I, I am just keeping this to myself. Like, you pick, girl... Summer's coming. Target's got this sale on flip-flops right now. Two for a dollar. You know, I got like 10 pairs of them right now. And what does your girlfriend do? Your girlfriend picks up the phone and calls three, four, five more girls. Girl, let's go to Target right now. We're going to about to meet at Target and, and, and just empty this flip-flop entire section. We're going to get everything. Everybody's going to get blessed. Why? Because good news are meant to be shared. And so why not do the same thing when it comes to the house of girl? I know a place that will come, that will heal your brokenness, that will heal your hurt, that will heal your disappointments. And it's all free, but you're welcome to tithe. Because when you tithe, we're able to even do more. We can bless more people, and we can help more families, and we can, we can send more missions, and we can do more food pantries, and, and more block parties, and, and more outreaches, and more serve the city. Who knows? We might even open a campus in your city. You know, we might be able to do more if you join the mission. You know, statistics says that 84% of unchurched people will go to church if someone would invite them. But then statistics shows that only 2% of Christians invite people to church. 84% of people say they would go. You know how intimidating it is to walk into a place you don't know anybody? My friend, you could be the bridge for someone to come receive hope, healing, strength, restoration. They will thank you for opening the door for them. So let's make a decision together today. I really, I'm praying, this is serious, that we are the people of the good news, that we will pray, we'll be available, we'll tell our story, we will love with words and action, but we also will not go a weekend without trying to bring another person with us to the house of God. Come on, come on, come on, all of us. And then the third and last legacy that Joseph 
teaches us. This is a, this is a tough one. It's a challenging one. I'm calling this one the restoration legacy. Because here's the thing, my friends. Joseph was sold by his own brothers, left for dead. 13 years goes by. The famine is so severe that now his brothers are coming to Egypt looking for food, not realizing that Joseph was still alive. They thought Joseph died. Joseph sees his brothers for the first time. He doesn't let them see him because his first initial reaction was resentment, anger, and revenge. And so he begins to give them a hard time without even knowing that it is him. And this is a very powerful thing. I pray we catch this today, my friends. Where God is trying to take you, revenge can be a part of it. Where God's trying to take you, resentment will block you from it. Where God is trying to take you, bitterness will keep you away from your breakthrough. We sing about breakthrough, but you have to understand, if you don't forgive, you'll stay broken. Your forgiveness might lead to your breakthrough. Joseph had to come to the place to realize, wait a minute, I can't try to go this direction. It's going to ruin everything that I've worked for and how far God has taken me. So this is a powerful moment in his life because all of a sudden he realizes, wait a minute, I'm going about this the wrong way. I'm allowing resentment, anger, bitterness, and revenge to blur my vision for where I'm supposed to be. So we pick up in, verse, in chapter 45, verse 1. This is after giving his brothers a hard time. But he comes to this place. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him. And a word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's place. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. My friends, that is the power of restoration. Where God wants to take us, we can't bring bitterness with us. Can't bring resentment with us. You can't bring unforgiveness with you. My friends, restoration 
is part of God's dream for humanity. God wants us to live in forgiveness, in healing, and in restoration. And some things are deeper than others. But here's the thing. We're all going to face these moments. It's not if, it's when we do. Someone will hurt you. Someone will wrong you. Someone will disappoint you. Someone will backstab you. Someone is going to do things that all you want to do is take revenge. And you want to hold on to that bitterness. But someone put it this way. Someone said, when you're holding on to resentment and bitterness, it's like you're taking poison and you're expecting somebody else to die. He said, it's like holding a key to your own jail cell and only you have the key to unlock yourself. My friends, right now, some people, I haven't gotten a breakthrough because they haven't forgiven. They haven't allowed the grace of God to forgive and to empower them to move on. So for some of you, I believe this with all my heart, your breakthrough is on the other side of forgiveness. The other side of letting go of that person who wronged you. Maybe it's your ex. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe you come from another church and you've been church hurt. My friends, if you don't deal with it, it's going to come out sooner or later. Have you ever noticed that when you don't forgive someone, you could be having a good day, but the moment you see them, your day is ruined? Why? Because you're carrying something you're not supposed to carry. It's too heavy of a burden for you to keep taking it on with you. And it, and it eats at your soul. It, it, it nags at your bones. It doesn't leave you alone. Why? Because you're not meant to carry resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. For God so loved the world that he forgave you. And he says, with the same extent that I've forgiven you, now go forgive others. You know, on the cross, Jesus kept saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Greek says it was a continuous prayer. In other words, there are some things you have to keep praying about until you are fully released from it because you don't want to be carrying this stuff. And it's going to block you from the destiny and the purposes and the future that God has for you. So restoration, my friends, is part of God's plan for humanity. So refuse to be a prisoner to bitterness. Refuse to be a prisoner to anger, to what people have done to you. Reject those feelings. Pray against them. The Bible says as long as it's up to you, be at peace with everyone. We're not all going to be best friends, but we can be at peace with everyone. The Bible says blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers. In other words, sometimes you might be the one to build the bridge between two people who are not seeing each other face to face. That's the beauty of this thing. My friends, we have to understand this, that the dreams that God has for us is bigger than just you, and you, me, myself, and I. It's a dream that includes others. In other words, we can't be like the world who says it's none of my business. That's not God's will. It is our business to see restoration. It is our business to open the doors for people to find grace, to find healing, to find peace, to find love. It is our business. God said it from the beginning. When Cain killed Abel, he said, am I my brother's keeper? And God was saying, yes, you are, and you ruined it, and you didn't get it. That if I, if I, I could have blessed you if you would have blessed your brother. 
The older brother in the prodigal son's story was bitter and resentful, didn't go after his younger brother, and he missed the point why he was an older brother. His whole objective, he had a divine responsibility to go after his younger brother, but he was too bitter, he was too resentful, he was too selfish to go after it. My friends, I pray we are the people of God who have received forgiveness, and we are freely to give it to others and to bless others and to help others. Some people will never move on to the next thing if you don't deal with the bitterness, the resentment, the hurts that is still at the baseline of your soul. You know, one of my favorite heroes is Martin Luther King Jr. And his legacy was powerful because he said, I will not fight this war on racism with hate. I will not give in to the same and because of his legacy, we're here today. We're able to, to have congregations of people from all walks of life because someone decided, no, we're not going to do it the same way. And, you know, Martin Luther attribute his approach to Jesus. You have to know he was a pastor. And you have to know he said the greatest thing that inspired him to lead the movement that he did was the Beatitudes, the preaching that Jesus gave about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, and, and blessed are the peacemakers. He says, I took that to heart, and I said, God, you empower me now to go live this life in the real world where people are beating me and throwing me in jail and incarcerating me for no reason. MLK was a modern-day Joseph. And look what he said about it. I love this quote. He says, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great of a burden to bear. It's too much of a weight, my friends, for us to be bitter, angry, mad. We can release that. And I know some cuts are deeper that you have to keep releasing until you know I have completely given this over to the Lord. But my friends, I believe all of us are called to create a legacy of family, a legacy of the gospel, but also a legacy of redemption and restoration. We can be the peacemakers in a world that is filled with hate, is filled with people who are just stuck in their own ways. My friends, let's rise above the negativity. Let's be the people of God. Let's be the light and the salt of an evil and perverted generation. Let's point people to a loving God, a Savior who loves the world, who his dream is for the whole world to come to know him as their Lord and their Savior. And he wants to use you and I to be a blessing to people all around us, at your workplace, at where you work out, where you live, everywhere you go. My friend, be the gospel of Jesus. Can you say amen? Come on, do you receive that today? Come on, stand with me as we, as we pray this morning. We have come a long way from week one. But all along we've been saying God's dream is for salvation of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. You and I, who have received Jesus, are now part of the rescue mission of the world. It starts our home with our families. But that's not enough. We have to embrace the gospel to help feed a hungry world physically, but also spiritually. And we have to be the ones to bridge the gap where there's hate, where there's anger, where there's unforgiveness. So today I want to pray differently. I want to pray that we would say, God, 
commission me, anoint me, anoint me to leave a legacy, a family, of gospel, and of restoration. Would you lift your hands to the Lord like if you're in with this? Would you pray with me today? Let's pray it together as a church. Would you say, Father, commission me. I'm yours. I want to fulfill your dreams for my life. And I pray it begins at home with my family. Lord, I surrender my family to you. And I pray to be available, willing to work, to see my family follow your will and do your will. And Lord, I also pray, commission me to be a bearer of good news, to help and to feed those who are hungry physically, but also spiritually. And Lord, make me a restorer of relationships. Oh, bless me, Lord, to be a peacemaker. I want to be a bridge for people to find healing, to find hope, to find grace, to find you, Jesus. God, I surrender myself to you. Have your way, not just in me, but have your way through me. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. And for more information, visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.